This show is supported by generous listeners like you through our Patreon. This episode is underwritten by the Tamsin G Association, Warrior Queen, and Chris Giddings. To learn more about ways to support Oh My Dollar and get cool perks like cat stickers and a fancy special icon on our forums, you can visit ohmydollar.com slash support. Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake. I'm your other host, Will. <laughs> Will forgot he was hosting. Yeah, I started reading the script early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay, so today, Will, this was actually like brought on by a listener question, which was like a good and important question about combining finance and looking towards the future around retirement accounts. But at the same time, it made me think of uh, a thread that we had a couple months ago in the My Dollar forums about who pays on a gay date, <laughs> um, which actually kind of transformed into a more sprawling discussion of who pays on dates in general. Right. And um, I thought, like, this is really fascinating because it's one of those things where it is so culturally specific, but is really important. And it, it kind of merges into the general finance question that happens in relationships, of which there are many, right? Like the num- like number one cause of divorce is financial arguments. So yeah, uh, this this is one of those things where it, money is incredibly relevant to relationships, and in fact, why the institution of marriage exists. <clears throat> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it, I think it's fascinating to talk about the different ways that people navigate this. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on this, Will? The general yeah. combining of finances and relationships? Uh, not, not general thoughts. I don't know. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. It exists. Uh, Do you pay when you go on dates? Yeah, or split. I mean, not for everything. I think that's, I think that's, that's <laughs> I ar- feel like ar- you just archaic. answered that in every way yeah. possible, Will. <laughs> <laughs> dip, dip, depends. I, I I feel like the the assumption is is dated and sexist at best. So like mine is the my rule is the asker pays generally. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Or if you I invite split. someone to do something, you're I feel like you're implying you're supporting that financially. Yeah, that, but but then that ends up getting more complicated when it's like, okay, but what if one person makes like five times what the other makes? So. Are they just always going to have to ask? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, or or the like, oh, someone wants to do something really expensive, and they know the other person can't afford that, but they're but it's fine for them to yeah, be able. Yeah, if you're trying to be in a relationship with someone, you can't figure this out. It's not meant to be, is it? <laughs> oh, but but I mean, figuring it out. I mean, figuring it out is one of those things where like I I think it's so hard for people to talk about money. And it's really hard to have that conversation early, especially early in a relationship about money because you're like, oh, how much are we going to show? How much are we going to open up? Like, is your net worth relevant when when you're like, oh, I have 100K in student loans? Is how much you have in your bank account relevant? Is like... It is it just is it just about your ethical stance on splitting and and how feminist you are, and it it ends up in one of those 
kind of discussions where it and there's not a lot of roadmaps like even even in the case where you've got two women in a relationship or two men in a relationship you're just like oh there are no gender standards to default on if we don't want to do any mental work around this Mm -hmm. right and that ends up being one of those those situations where it's hard because we don't know what the roadmap is for these kind of discussions because no longer are we getting married at 16 in a pre-arranged marriage with you know whoever liked us the most in primary father school. owns the big farm down the road exactly yeah. right this was originally brought up in the forums by uh fifi fum uh who said i he him have been out with someone he him who insists on paying for stuff this is super new to me because my date paying philosophy is generally presume an equitable split or and the inviter asker should pay at minimum offer expect to pay especially if they s- selected the venue or activity um, equitable can include 50-50 splits each time or taking turns, paying your own check, proportional share with income disparate couples, especially the longer you've been dating or together. Yeah, I, that all makes sense. So I the equitable split thing is really interesting because I feel like that is one of the cases where generally I've made less money than whoever I'm in a relationship with. Not always, but I don't make a lot of money. So generally I've made less. And I feel like I get closer to the uh, proportional share as I get deeper in the relationship. So I've, I've lived with my current partner for, for four or five years and we do we do 50-50 split on everything except... Uh, rent and this Hmm. was our way of being like okay you do make literally like five times what i make (laughs) so like rent is one of those things when we moved in together i was living in like a not super great apartment i had a great roommate it was a great location but like it smelled like smoke constantly from my downstairs neighbor it was very dark it didn't have a lot of windows and it, it was you know it was a property management company that anybody in Portland knows what the level of quality of their apartments are. And uh, it had 70s shag carpet everywhere. Nice. Um, <laughs> it was a look. It was definitely a look. And I was unwilling to... Um, I was I, I didn't want to pay that much more in rent, even if I was moving up in housing. But my partner had much more expensive housing preferences. And so the discussion essentially became like, OK, well, I don't really want to pay for half of an apartment that has, you know, in unit washer, dryer, a dishwasher, all these things I perceive as something that fancy people have mm-hmm. because it's going to impact my ability to save and spend money on the things that I want. And I just don't want that proportion of my rent, my total salary going to rent yeah. versus my partner was like, this is a rounding error in the amount that I make because I work in tech. <laughs> and so, and I, they had come from a very fancy apartment building. And so the place that we moved into was sort of a compromise, but because it had those sort of fancier things that cost more in the rent, they, we ended up doing, we didn't do it proportional by income because I literally would be paying almost nothing in rent. <laughs> Right, but I mean that's not like a good. Uh, yeah, but compromise. we ended up doing we ended up doing like sixty forty. Yeah, um, albeit maybe a little more long term than the date scenario we were talking about. Right, exactly, and but that that came from like despite that split, we still split groceries equally down the middle, and I don't pay for their groceries that I'm not going to eat, and vice uh-huh. versa. So I don't drink alcohol, and so I don't pay for beer for the house unless we are joint buying it because we are hosting people at the house and so then we would split it um and also like i get expensive vegan cheese um and they get expensive not vegan cheese 
And uh, so like we will split out the bill based on that. And this is also one of those things where it's it, I think, even more relevant now because my partner travels like three to five days a week for work. And so I'm essentially live alone in my fancy apartment. Uh, <laughs> and because of that, I end up, you can choose. Yeah. I do end up spending more on groceries simply because I, whenever I'm buying groceries just for myself, I'm buying them just for myself. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it turns you're not out, splitting them, yeah. It turns out splitting uh, groceries for two is slightly cheaper per person than groceries for one. Makes sense. The yeah. bulk discounts. Yeah. It's the like not having to buy an entire bottle of oil when you want to buy it is uh, things like that. Anyway, um, so this is one of those things where I obviously, as Will was saying, if you're in a relationship with someone, hopefully you have open enough communication where you can kind of navigate this. But it's really hard in the beginning where you feel it out. Like, what is the point at which you start having the discussion of like, OK, what what's your financial situation look like? Right. Like you right, don't, yeah, you, you don't the first date you're not question. like the first date you don't ask like, are you regularly overdrafting your checking account? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> uh, if you are, maybe you're a bit of a nerd. But um and, and like I don't know, that would be a red flag to me if, if someone that was asked the first that, thing, if that was the first question, yeah. On the first date. Um but at the same time, like like money is about values more than it is about the hard numbers, as we've talked about a lot on the show. And so usually like disagreements about like the core premise of money can point to a values d difference, which yeah, often sense. ends up meaning different things in relationships. That being said, I think a lot of opposites attract and I think a lot of spenders end up getting with savers. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a desirable quality maybe in, in each other. Um, and, and so then, you know, you just kind of got to build that in. One of the things that I've talked about, I think I've talked about before in the show is when it comes to getting partners on board. So if you start listening to this show or, or, you know, reading up on finance and really decide like, I'm going to get my finances together and you're in a relationship with someone at, at really any stage, the biggest thing I recommend is not being the person that comes home and are like, we're going to get everything together with our finances. We're, we're going to cut back on everything. Huh. We're going to cut the cable. We're going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to save all this money. And then we're going to retire in five years. I, you know, whatever. The really ambitious, like over eager, I've decided this is the way we're going to do it now. That usually doesn't work. What I recommend is if you start to want to make financial changes, unless this is something that you enjoy geeking out about with your partner, uh, the thing I say is show by example. So in the very beginning, it's like, oh, you aren't always freaked out about paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you you are on to something or like, oh, I see that you have a budgeting ritual where you actually sit down every Sunday night and like, you know, work on the budget, work yeah. on the budget. Um, uh, or like I see you sending in your quarterly taxes instead of stuffing it under my bed and shoeboxes. <laughs> so like those kind of things, like leading by example, I think as you start to get more and more confident with money, it really does show. And the people closest to you start to notice. And that I think is better than trying to be prescriptive, because especially if you are a saver and your partner is a spender and that's just your natural inclinations, they are going to rebel. <laughs> If you try to impose something on them because it's going to feel like they've been boxed in and yeah. all of those negative associations people have with like budgeting are going to come up. Right. You don't want someone forcing you to do that. 
And if you are on board generally about it, but you have different, slightly different spending priorities. So like, obviously I have slightly different spending priorities than almost anyone. We're all unique in that way. Uh, I'm a huge fan. If you do have combined finances or if you have some combined categories, making sure each person still at least has one slush money category that is their own no no judgment spending. Yeah. So really, I think it's really important. Uh, you know, my partner likes to spend a lot of money on fancy cameras and camera equipment that would probably <laughs> she give says me... with a fancy camera next to her for her birthday. <laughs> it was my birthday. It's really nice. <laughs> um, but like... Uh, but I would probably freak out if that came out of like a combined finance situation um, mm. because it, it is it is a lot of money, even though I like no judgment. My partner has a much bigger net worth and has their finances completely together beyond even what I do because they have a bigger shovel to work with. Yeah. Um, and so there's no judgment there. But at the same time, like I spend a lot of money on like really silly costume stuff that would probably stress my partner out if that was coming out of the same budget. And if you're someone that's like, oh, but I don't need that slow slush money that's fine just save it <laughs> right like i think save give, your slush save your slush give it to your partner give but give that space to your partner to whichever partner is in the situation where they like to spend more money and you know if you're in a polyamorous relationship or something that's like your date money for your other partner um that's also a good place to buy gifts if you slush don't fund yeah the yeah. slush fund because then the other person doesn't see it coming out of the budget oh, that's true they don't know that's um <laughs> And, and that also helps, I think, um, folks kind of recognize that their values are not going to 100% line up with their spending all the time. But that's OK, because you each agree that it's important to have their money in a different place. Um, I think the first date is like one of the biggest stress ones because it's hard to know when you're just meeting someone how they're going to react when you offer to pay when they offer to pay or like if you want to split it and they're like oh no um but i think the things get more complicated and more emotional as you go on like the first date is like first dates are awkward no matter what uh -huh. generally right so like the money is just one small small part of it but it gets a lot fuzzier when you are like in a relationship, I think if you don't live together, but you're you're in a long-term relationship, that gets like even more frustrating. One thing that happened early in my relationship before I lived with my partner was that like we were constantly square cashing and Venmoing each other back and forth, like oh, yeah. one to six dollars <laughs> for either like groceries, because one of us would buy groceries and then like the other would like send like half the groceries or um, back and forth for like split bars at bills. The biggest problem was like at a coffee shop, if you can just do one transaction, you want to just do one transaction um, or like close out one tab in the bar, but then you're sending one to six dollars. And it actually was just super annoying because we both used YNAB. And so we did not want to have to like constantly reconcile all these one to six dollar transactions. Oh, yeah, that's a pain in the butt. I mean, that's that's why I kind of like to leave a couple bucks in my Venmo account just for that. I guess that's maybe a slush fund sort of it, thing. It is but just your slush the, fund. the money I don't need to necessarily account for, but it's useful to have digitally there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also the kind of person that like I I was always terrible at remembering that someone owed me money or I owed them money at the bar 
like it would be like oh i'll get your drink next time Mm -hmm. like i just had no memory for that and so i would want to do it instantly um but the great thing is because majority of my split transactions are with my partner we do not have combined accounts um but we both use wineab and we have a shared to-doist task list where we enter the transactions assigned to the other person so like when we go grocery shopping we'll actually like enter the transaction into the to-doist list and it's shared so it'll get immediately added and then we have accounts in YNAB for the other person that are set up as though we have credit cards. So we only have to reconcile that account. We say we do it once a month, but in reality, we do it like once every three months where we actually go through and reconcile that YNAB like each other as a credit card. That's a good way to do it. It's really great because when we spend that money at the grocery store, I actually just split the transaction as though I'm splitting it to another card. Um, But it's actually to this like just ledger that we have going on in YNAB. Obviously, that's like a way more over the top way of dealing with it but it has worked really well especially because we're often not in the same city and because of that it makes it a lot easier to like you know have a record of you know when i go out and do a big grocery shop or something when they're not here it makes it really easy and you know about it yeah yes so i don't know what what about groceries what do you do what do you do with groceries will and i buy my own damn groceries you buy your own groceries (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Groceries are pretty splittable, especially if people are sharing meals and food. And what you were saying about not paying for your partner's beer or sugar-free ice cream makes sense because that stuff is really. Why would you pay for sugar-free ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is good ice cream, but I just don't want to spend eight dollars on a pint of ice cream. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, my partner doesn't. The right pint of ice cream, maybe. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) my thing is that, like, the sugar-full vegan ice cream is at Grocery Outlet, which I live really close Mm -hmm. to, for, like, $2 a pint on a regular basis. And I'm like, I'm eating ice cream anyway. I just need to accept that there's going to, like, it doesn't have nutritional value. So, um, but my partner doesn't eat sugar, so uh, the sugar-free ice cream is expensive. Yeah, but I mean, with groceries, I don't know, splitting splitting the, the staples makes sense, and paying for your own beer and stuff also makes sense if you're the only one who's going to be consuming that. Yeah, and we don't, like, we when we have, like, fancy snacks or something like that that we got kind of without the other's, like, consent, that will usually be in our own budget. Um, but if we end up sharing them, sometimes I will like reimburse. So sometimes I will be up at 3am and break into the freezer and eat my significant other's ice cream. And then I'll just like replace it. I'll replace the thing of ice cream yeah. at, you know, at the full cost of myself or I'll be I mean, like, the replacements the way to go. Yeah. 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 Or I'll, or I'll like, you know, put, you know, $8 on our ledger or whatever. So I think that's, that's, there's a bunch of different kind of stances on it. I think uh, I, I think one of the things it, that's really challenging about the asker inviter model, fee-fi-fo-fum kind of pointed out, was that this person that they're seeing is a recent transplant to the area. So more of the ideas of what to do come from them because I know where things are, where they exist, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then are mutually agreed upon. So, like, it's kind of bad to be, like, constantly suggesting things, but then this other person is always paying for them uh if you're doing the payer ascii model but like yeah yeah i don't know i mean with that one it sounds like if the person who's paying is comfortable with it and happy doing it i don't know if there's i know but does that just make you shiver in the in the weird i don't know in the weird ways i don't know i don't know It, it just seems like some like weird patriarchy feeling emasculated thing 
<laughs> yeah, I guess. I also just like really prefer cheap dates generally. And so I this is one of those things where I don't have as much trouble, but I do hate when I'm like, oh, I would like to go out with you, but like, no, I don't want to go to that like $18 plate. Like, you know, yes, it might be a great tapas bar, but like I'm not into fancy restaurants really. And so like, it's just not my, it does. I don't get the most value out of my money. Or I mean, you can always suggest more affordable options like cooking at home or. I love, I love groceries to cook together as a date. Um, And then, you know, that's my favorite frugal date. I also like bringing a picnic. Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, no, that was like my number one courting move would be to like show up at someone's workplace as they were like getting out and then surprise them with a picnic. So food is the way to my heart. Generally. Food's great. Just not fancy food. <laughs> um, this all kind of leads into a question about combined finances after marriage. Um, and the reason I say after marriage is because marriage, one of the reasons that it was fought for so hard for same sex marriage is, mm-hmm. is, is a bundle of of different rights that you have to the other person's assets. (laughs) And this is really, really important when it comes to retirement planning. Um, So we had a listener, uh, Alicia, write in, and she said, my husband and I have separate jobs and bank accounts, and we share all household expenses. We've recently opened separate Roth IRAs and have a separate small investments as well. Uh Um, We assume everything will be the same. We are very happy and plan on being married through retirement as well as forever. Uh, But is it better to just put money in one retirement account with therefore a bigger sum for both of us and share that? Does that produce a higher return or should we still invest our smaller shares in separate accounts? Um, And then uh, Alicia also said, I have a separate 401k through work, which is only for me, but he could theoretically add his money to mine or I could put my money into his larger Roth instead of my smaller, blah, 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 blah. So here's here's the thing you need to know about retirement accounts is that generally they're always separate. Um, and that doesn't mean that you don't have shared access to the assets if you are continue to be married or if you are married for a certain amount of time, you get access to those assets even after divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, is that they are usually only in your name. So Roth and traditional IRAs can only be in your name. Obviously, ones tied to you at work are only in your name. There isn't really much of a such thing as a joint retirement account. There's some like fuzzy ways you can do it. But for most of those tax advantage retirement accounts, they are in your individual name. Okay. So answer your question one is no, stick with your own retirement accounts. Stick with your own retirement accounts. But I want to talk about the different ways in which you get access to it and the ways you should think about it. So because I one of one of uh, Alicia's questions was like, will we get more money if we put it in the bigger account? And this is one of those things where it, it, it's actually irrelevant. So because that return is based not on the total amount sitting in the account, but it's a percentage return on each dollar in the account. So if you had two accounts and they were identical invested and one was ten thousand dollars and one was two thousand dollars each that it's still twelve thousand dollars invested in the same shares right does that make sense so they're going to produce the same return over either one right five percent of six thousand plus five percent of six thousand is the same as five percent of twelve thousand yes exactly and that compound interest is also pretty much the same um if you're truly working on retirement as a couple then you should treat both your and your retirement accounts as one 
overall savings rate, um, I wouldn't. In, uh, I would avoid comparing individual contributions with your partner. So if your partner has a better match at their work, you might want to put more money towards their work 401k versus your work right, 401k. Right, there's going to be more benefit there. Um, I will say I generally recommend that uh, that folks always have some retirement stuff in their name. So I wouldn't want you to put 100% of your retirement uh, investing all in your husband's name and none of it in your name um, simply because I want you to have access to some of those assets uh, <laughs> later if you if your marriage was to end for any reason. Yeah. So if your marriage ends because one of you dies, then you just need to make sure to name your spouse as a beneficiary. And um, if you are legally married, then your spouse as a beneficiary is automatically there, but it helps to just write it on the form. Yeah, just to confirm that's all working. It's on yeah. the form. Um, also, if your spouse has power of attorney for you, uh, this is one of those areas where being legally married can really help because um, while you can name anyone as a beneficiary, they will have to pay taxes to get that account uh, if they are not legally married to you, um, which is, in fact, the case that legally <laughs> legally decided gay marriage in the U.S. was about taxes, estate taxes on retirement oh, accounts. I didn't know that. That's not shocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I liked it because it was one of the best arguments that you can make is just argue about taxes rather than um, the, you know, ethics of who you love. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the other the other thing that is worth knowing about when considering together is spousal IRAs. So if you have a partner that is not working or makes a low income, your spouse can qualify for what is called a spousal independent retirement account. This isn't actually like a special kind of IRA. It's not different than a traditional or a Roth IRA. It's just a traditional Roth IRA that allows a non-working spouse to have a retirement vehicle. So they wouldn't have anything through work if they're not working, if they're on disability or, you know, they're raising children or whatever. But you as the working spouse can put money into a spousal IRA for your legal spouse spouse right. um, and those are really awesome and it also allows for folks to have some money in their own name which is very helpful um, and that's yeah. helpful <laughs> even that's helpful even like uh, aside from divorce or anything like that that is helpful because um, things slow down when people die as far as getting access to money and so spousal IRAs will mean that they have access to some money that is in their name so either way whichever death do us part or divorce do us part um, it is important to have money in both accounts, but I would not uh, worry about which one has the greater sum. Uh, look towards which one has the lowest expense ratio and, you know, best match if you get some match through work. Um, but you can kind of spread it out. It's it's annoying to have a bunch of accounts, but I would recommend that you have at least one retirement account in the name of each spouse. Yeah, I like it. All right. I think, I think that's it. Yeah, but you should email us or text us or, or tweet at oh my dollar yes <laughs> and we let us let it let us know your thoughts and perspectives and solutions for these things i'd love to hear all of your solutions for this uh especially like if you're queer how do you work this out Did, because you can't you don't get to just fall back on gender norms and if you're also stop falling back on gender norms. yeah if you're straight <laughs> and you don't want to fall back on gender norms how do you have that conversation I'm, I'm not straight enough to know how straight people converse with each other, but theoretically they do. Okay. <laughs> uh, email us your financial worries, successes, how you split finances at questions at ohmydollar.com or tweet us at Anomaly or at ohmydollar. 
Yep. Our producer is Will Romy. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki. And your host and personal finance educator is me, Lillian Kerbake. Thanks for listening. Till next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.